0: You're at a ball game with your pal who buys you a tasty hot dog and beer. You realize you have zero cash to pay him back, but you know you've got your mobile phone and crypto value. You hop onto MovoChain.com, enter your friend's email or phone number, then convert your Bitcoin or Bitcoin cash to fiat on the fly. Your pal gets an alert that money is waiting to be claimed in the Movo app. Now, he can provision that cash value to Apple, Google, or Samsung Pay instantly. Yep, that's crypto to cash conversion completed in minutes. To move your funds faster, visit Movo You're at a ball game with your pal, who buys you a tasty hot dog and beer. You realize you have zero cash to pay him back, but you know you've got your mobile phone and crypto value. You hop on to movochain.com, enter your friend's email or phone number, then convert your Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash to fiat on the fly. Your pal gets an alert that money is waiting to be claimed in the Movo app. Now he can provision that cash value to Apple, Google, or Samsung Pay instantly. Yep, that's crypto to cash conversion completed in minutes. To move your funds faster, visit Movo.
2: Hello,
1: this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Megan Ramos. She's a program director and co-founder of uh, IDM, the Intensive Dietary Management Program. Uh, Megan, how are you doing today?
2: I'm fine, thanks, Richard. How are you doing? Good.
1: Yeah, I've been looking forward to, uh, to interviewing you. I, you know, like I, I mentioned uh, offline, I uh, Jason Fung, who you work with. Dr. Feng, uh, you know he's written some some books, The Obesity Code, and some others on uh, the power of fasting and diet. And I know that you're, uh, you know, co-founder of the program. So I'm, I'm very glad to speak to you today.
2: Thank you. Yeah, fasting, uh, fasting just totally, completely changed the way we we do everything at our clinic in terms of helping people. And it actually uh, saved. I consider it to have saved my own life. I've worked with Jason for hmm. 20 years. And when I, uh, just before my 27th birthday, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And right. shortly after my 26th birthday, I just gained a ton of weight and I had had metabolic issues in terms of fatty liver and PCOS in the past that no one understood because I used to be skinny, but in hindsight, I was just skinny fat. Uh, so we started experimenting with fasting with me. Uh, within six months, I was no longer diabetic, no more fatty liver, no more PCOS. I lost a ton of weight and I had mental clarity, no more mental fog. I gave up ADHD medication that I started taking in university because I started to struggle more and more as I got older. Yeah. So we had, I had, um, this awesome experience, you know, where, For me, I was born in 84, so I grew up, I was born several years after the McGovern report came out, and so that's a a U.S. uh, dietary report that just trashed fats and promoted a high-carb diet, so I grew up eating high-carb, and uh, it was really, I'm an Irish-Italian-Canadian, and it was uh, tough to sort of Change all my eating habits. I never ate butter. I never ate egg yolk. So uh, it took a while. So it was easier just not to eat than to really change all of my eating preferences and uh, emotional issues that we developed with eating. So fasting really helped me and it you know saved my life before I could work on those behavioral issues and learn how to cook new things and figure out what I enjoyed. Uh, fasting was a, a real game changer. Yeah. Of course, now it's like eight years later. I eat really well. <laughs> I enjoy uh joy cooking. I actually, to say this huge plate of salad covered in bacon and eggs and with a yolk, and uh, really enjoy this way of eating. But the the fasting is it's just such a great tool to help get people into a place of good health before they start to experience complications. Because it takes a it takes a while for us right. to change our dietary habits.
1: Well, all right, So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I, I guess well, so far, luckily, I think I've avoided diabetes, but I've, I feel like I've certainly gotten very close. Um, it, it sounds unusual for someone to get diabetes, you know, so young at age 27. W- were you eating that badly or is it just you, unfortunately, just to come to it much faster than other people or like when well, when it's... nowadays are people getting it? Nowadays, or is it...
2: Yeah. It's totally different. Like in 2015, there were over 48,000 children under the age of 10 that were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in the United States. More and more people are getting it younger. And think of why. Well, you look at my family tree. My grandmother was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at 72. My father at 51 and me at 27, roughly. So what happened? So talking to my grandmother, she said, well, we never ate cookies. We didn't eat pastries. There was no such thing as candy for most of my life. I wasn't allowed to eat before before dinner. I wasn't allowed to eat after dinner. I certainly went to school with no snacks. Like fruit was dessert half of the time, if they even had that. They used butter. And then, you know, in 1977, our diet shifted. So, you know, so she was sort of older in life and it developed, you know, diabetes in you know, 20, 30 years after that. And the same thing with my dad. When my father was 29 when I was born and uh, leading up to his mid-20s, you know, he was told that fat wasn't bad uh, and that sugar, that sugar was bad. So he never snacked. He didn't, um, he didn't uh throw away the egg yolks, he ate real butter. But then this report came out in 77 saying, oh, you need to change everything. So he went from a very healthy, very slender, active guy in his mid 20s. to then by the time he's in his 50s, like super obese, heart problems, like all kinds of crazy stuff, diabetes. But by the time, you know, he turned 50, it was You you need to eat several times throughout the day. You need to be eating a ton of fruit. Uh, You need to be eating carbs. You need to stay away from the fat. So he radically changed his diet in his mid-20s. And then I was just Mm -hmm. born into it. I was born in an era where it wasn't cool for mothers to breastfeed. So I was fed cornstarch baby formula from day one. I grew up in one of the first generations where you're almost guaranteed that both parents are working, right? So there wasn't... A mom at home always cooking so pizza mondays chinese food fridays you know we we have yep. a few home cooked meals a week and i went to school with an entire like um <laughs> like cooler like a mini cooler just full of food in case i got hungry at any point throughout the school day that's something that neither my parents or my grandparents ever had growing up
1: mm. yeah no, you're right i mean things have changed i was born in the mid-70s and uh and yeah, I remember growing up, there was like a, a token fat kid, you know, in in the in the class. And now it's like everywhere. It's, it's mm-hmm. things definitely have changed. And it took me a super long time to figure out like what what's going on? Why have things changed so much? Why are there so many more people overweight? You know, I'm I'm overweight. Happened for a long time. I still am, um, and it's it's been a struggle for forever. And I have kids now, and I'm trying to indoctrinate them into the right way of eating. So that they don't have these problems that i've had my whole life so you know it's not easy and i understand things are very different how did you um how did you get involved first with uh dr fung what's the story there how did you start at idm
2: well I, idm is something that we only founded in in 2012. i worked with jason for 20 years this past may uh, Jason's a nephrologist. He's a kidney specialist, and I'm a, I'm a researcher, a medical researcher. And I, when I was a kid, actually, I knew I always wanted to get into medical research. So I started volunteering on research products at Jason's nephrology clinic. So Jason was a brand new doctor. He was very new to this nephrology clinic, and he, was, he had a particular keen interest in doing research and not just being a doctor. So I worked with Jason and his other colleagues on various research projects within nephrology, most of it focusing on disease prevention, so a lot of prospective research. So I was a kid. I was about to start uh, grade 11 (laughs) at the time, and I couldn't even drive the first summer I worked there, actually. But uh, I, I liked it. I liked kidneys. Um, I, I liked the the organ, the organ itself. I thought it was cool. But as I was doing research in high school, every year there were more and more sick people, and to me, you know, it seemed that kidney disease was just progressing at a rate that was just unbelievable, and we needed to have extreme focus in the area of disease prevention and kidney disease prevention. So that's where I decided to uh, focus my studies on in, in my post high school and in my university experience, focusing on disease prevention, particularly in nephrology. So nephrology is a study of kidney disease. And this increase that we were seeing every year in nephrology, seeing the number of patients go into kidney failure, it was usually because of diabetes. And it just sort of became disheartening. I was sort of in my mid-20s and was about to go to medical school and didn't know why. You know, I'd always wanted to, you know, become a nephrologist then and focus on research that, you know, would continue to focus on disease prevention from diabetes, damaging the kidneys, but it didn't seem to be a way to fix the diabetes. And then I developed diabetes myself. And that's when, you know, I just remember saying to Jason, I'm not going to die from this. And at the time, he was coincidentally doing research on fasting for religious reasons. Like, why why fast? And he had a friend of his who had um, lost some weight and had improved blood sugar levels during a religious fast. And Toronto is the most multicultural city in the world. A third of our patients participate in Ramadan. They're Muslims. So we see it every year, and we just you don't ever really think about it. But something about that conversation with Jason's friend really made him think about our patients who participate in Ramadan. We had just gone through Ramadan, and you know, some patients don't do well, but a lot of patients have to come off their medications because their blood sugars improve, they lose weight. You know, really cool things happen during Ramadan. So, you know, Jason gave me this literature that he had found on, on these patients who were fasting for, uh, for Ramadan and health notes that had been documented over the years, the benefits. And I started doing research. And then the next day, uh, after he gave me this big stack of papers to go through, I said, I'm going to start fasting. So we ex- started experimenting with me. Um, it wasn't easy at first. And I had a lot of luck. So within six months, I looked like I looked like a new person. I felt like a new person. Like for the first time in my life, I felt like I had it together, and I wasn't struggling to keep up. And all of the patients in the clinic noticed. At this time, I was conducting a study with 2,800 patients, and I was seeing them very regularly. And they all noticed a huge transformation in me. And they said, "We want to do whatever you're doing. Like we need to do whatever you're doing." And uh, we talked with our colleagues. There was some hesitation about fasting patients recommending low-carb diets to patients, but they agreed to let us try. And that's how the IDM program came about. So we had our first official uh, trial day on June 5th of 2012.
1: Well, very cool. Um, in terms of fasting, you know, I've read through, again, Jason's books. Um, one thing I was confused about is I've read a lot about what's called intermittent fasting but it seems like the minimum time period was, you know, 24 hours. Is there fasting where you do 14 hours or 16 hours and eat in a smaller window? And, you know, what, what is that called? Is that different from, you know, fasting or intermittent fasting? And how does that work?
2: Yeah, the 16-8 or the 18-6 is where you fast for 16 or 18 hours. And then you eat uh, in a six to eight hour eating window. That's popular. Um, That's usually what we recommend to patients to do on their eating days. We don't actually consider that uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, It's intermittent where there's, um, where we see more therapeutic benefits of fasting is what we consider to be intermittent fasting. So we don't really see a whole lot of therapeutic benefits of fasting until you're approaching the 24 hour mark. We typically use the 36 hour, 42 hour intermittent fast. To really reap the, the therapeutic benefits of fasting, we would only recommend a 16:8 or an 18:6 fast just to a healthy individual, like say someone 35 looking to lose 10 or 15 pounds, poor eating habits, uh, no diabetes. That's the kind of person we would recommend uh, a 16:8 fast to. But for most people looking to lose serious weight, they tend to be a little bit more metabolically complicated. So we would push at least towards the 24 hours. We consider that to be an intermittent fasting regimen.
1: Well, what happens if you do 16 you know, or 14, how much less of a benefit do you think it'll have versus 24?
2: Well, you're not going to get any cellular recycling. Uh, first of all, so cellular uh, autophagy is a cellular recycling process where you get rid of bad cells and you generate new cells and it's good for disease prevention. Um, also, during the, the first 12 to 14 hours of a fast, you don't get a whole lot of human growth hormone produced. When you fast a little bit longer, like for 24, 36 hours, you get quite a lot of human growth hormone produced. So you can utilize... That to help you put on lean mass, so muscle mass or bone mass, in the case of women who are looking to improve their bone mass density. So there's not um, there's there's a full benefit of doing like twelve or fourteen hours of fasting, giving your body a break, not always feeding it, Let your insulin levels settle down, some regulating your hormones a little bit. But you know, to get therapeutic benefits of fasting, we are seeing disease prevention, disease treatment, anti-aging uh, processes kicking into gear, uh, growth hormone production. Uh, you're looking at fasting closer to the 24-hour mark or beyond, but a 16:8 is is regular, what we recommend for everyone for their eating days to maintain good health.
1: Well, if you if you just do 16:8, do you, again, do you think you'll get a lot of the benefits, but maybe not all of them?
2: You'll get some good benefits, but you're definitely not going to get all of them.
1: How, how do you ease someone into a 24-hour fast?
2: So it depends. Uh, it depends on the individual. Some people are really motivated, and some people have fasted for religious purposes. So telling them to do a fast is no big deal to them. Uh, but for someone who's like grew up like me, eating like three dozen times a day and just told that was a good thing we usually get them just to go to three meals a day and to try to get them not to snack in the evening time. And then once they get comfortable with that, then we cut out breakfast. And once they're comfortable with that, we cut out lunch, and then we see if they can make it to dinner. So just slowly, steadily making sure you're listening to your body.
1: So you all right, So you start someone maybe with overnight, and then you build from there?
2: Yes, yeah. For someone who's really leery about fasting, we would start off with a really gradual approach like that.
1: So what um what tools will help uh, fasting? I mean people drink water during the fast, but what else helps?
2: So when people are new to fasting, we encourage them to drink some homemade bone broth. So it's where you just you put chicken bones or beef bones or any animal bone really in, in water and you can use some herbs and spices to season it and you let it simmer for a long time. And you just add in some salt. And so we encourage patients who are new to fasting to have some broth once or twice a day during a fast. And for people who are new to fasting, um, tea and coffee. We'll let them have tea and coffee, but no sugars, no sweeteners, uh, natural or artificial sweeteners. And we really encourage them to do their best to try to drink it black.
1: So what are, what are some of the challenges people have or negative effects of trying to do this, you know? at all?
2: I think most of the challenges are behavioral. Uh, it's, it's tough when you're, say you're working in an office and everyone around you is snacking at their desk all day long. That's tough. You have a bad day, you want to eat. Challenges too is that if you have a family, they might not all eat this way and your carbohydrates are, are really addicting. And it's tough to be around people who are always eating when you're trying to fast. I was actually living with family when I first started fasting, so I had to be really proactive and take ta- uh, like make the time to plan out activities to do on the days I wanted to fast when I knew that family was going to be eating at home, and uh, because otherwise, being around them at home was was a bit of a struggle. So I would do kickboxing on Monday and pilates on Wednesday. I had different activities. And I actually had to be proactive, you know, go to those activities after work, and then I would get home around 7, 7.30, and everyone would be done eating, and I could sit and I could socialize and spend quality time with my family. So that that's a big struggle for, for people. It's more sort of the lifestyle logistics, work-wise or family-wise, that can can pose some challenges. You know, because the carb addiction is huge because your hormones are all out of whack. And it's not, you know, people who are hungry all of the time, it's not that there's something, you know, wrong with their behavior or something wrong with them mentally. a the physiological thing, their hormones are out of whack. So it can be difficult at first until those hormone levels come down for people to feel like they have control over their appetite. So for me, that was also another struggle. My, horm- my hormones were way out of whack. My insulin was sky high, which is a sign that my, my appetite hormone, my primary hunger hormone, ghrelin, was also probably sky high. So I physically wouldn't feel hungry, but I would just want to eat, want to eat. You know, what's there? I need to eat. And fighting through that can be challenging, too. In terms of physiological you know, side effects, if uh, people don't substitute with bone broth or don't take salty water if they're not going to have bone broth, they may get some headaches or dizziness during their first couple of weeks of fasting. And that's only because our insulin levels drop so much during the first couple of weeks of fasting. And that signals to our kidneys to release a bunch of water. So we end up losing a lot of water weight and that water will carry electrolytes out of us. So it's important to, use, to still drink water to replenish some of the lost water, but you need to get the electrolytes too. So you either have to put some good quality salts, like Himalayan salts or Celtic salts, into your water, or you have to drink broth just within the first couple of weeks. Once that, you know, water weight is gone after your initial introduction to fasting, then, um, then you don't have to be as particular or, or as worried about your salt and broth intake.
1: So do you recommend that people um, do like one 24 hour period a week or what's, I mean, I know it varies per person, but what's, um, you know, a somewhat standard plan that you think works pretty well?
2: Yeah, we have our patients do three days a week, uh, three three days a week of a minimum of 24 hour fast for most of the patients. That's what we at least try to work them up to. We found three, three times a week gets pretty consistent results. Patients are able to out fast any little blemishes in their diet a blemish meaning like an ice cream cone on a sunday when they're walking through the park something that's more carby or refined sugar so we find the three times a week frequency works really well uh once or twice a week usually works well for maintenance so if you're healthy or you, you have become healthy and you're just looking to stay that way three times a week works really well then or sorry two times a week work, works really well then
1: when you say two or three times a week, does that mean like consecutively or every other day you do it, or what? What is really, like ideally?
2: Yeah, so i ideally it doesn't. Uh, it's what works best for your lifestyle. Like this week for me, like Monday Thursday Friday were good. Would have been good for fasting days. I I've actually been fasting this week because of other circumstances. But if I was looking to do intermittent fasting Monday, Thursday, Friday, next week, it might be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, the week after it could be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, so any, any three days of the week. So you could do them back to so back, you could do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or you could do two days together and another day later on in the week or vice versa, or you could space them out intermittently.
1: So what do you see that holds people back from doing this? Is it the fear of not eating or is it they just don't feel good? It's hard for them to do it, or they're starving. Or what do you say? Um,
0: most
2: people start and realize that it is really not that bad. Like even the patients who come in who think it just sounds like the most crazy thing on the planet, uh, they go home and they start it, and it's not that bad. Usually, what would discourage someone from starting it is like the fear that they're going to die within a couple of hours if they don't eat. Um, you know it's understanding that yeah for the first little bit you're not going to feel well but you're not going to you're not going to die eventually if you push through it you'll start to feel better and a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their minds around that Um, you know we have a lot of people too with severe severe food addiction carb addiction issues and that's really tough for them to imagine you know going a couple of hours without taking some some carbs So usually it's more mental factors in terms of addiction and just the fear of the unknown that really prevents people from starting to fast. But usually if you can get someone who's open-minded enough to give it a shot, they come in the clinic and they say, hey, that's, you know, that's really not bad. I went out, I did my errands, I got busy at work, I went for a walk when everyone else was eating lunch. I did laundry, I cleaned out a sock drawer, and I I made it, and it was okay. So I haven't had one person start fasting and then stop fasting because it was too difficult for them.
1: That's good. That's amazing. So what what are some of the effects that patients report and how fast do they experience them?
2: Within a couple of weeks, a lot of patients are off of their insulin. So that makes them like outrageously happy Um, or they have a dramatic reduction in their insulin and other diabetic medications. Within a couple of weeks, you do see a decent amount of weight loss. Uh, If you're doing a 24-hour fast about three times a week, you see about uh, six to 10 pounds lost in the first couple of weeks, which is really motivating. Also, in the first couple of weeks, uh, most people notice an improvement in energy and mental fog almost immediately. So they, you know, their mind feels clearer, their is a bit sharper, and that really excites them to keep them motivated to continue.
1: What about people that, you know, the, their diet may be pretty good. Maybe they're doing like, you know, low carb, low sugar, or they're keto, or, you know, modified Atkins. Um, mm-hmm. Do they experience better results? Same? Uh, do they need to do it to this level?
2: Yeah, they, we usually, I find that a lot of these people um, who are doing, like, say, keto, for example, uh, they're just eating too much too often. You know, when you eat matters just as much as what you eat. So we put them on the same fasting regimens. You know, by the time they get into this position where they're searching for diets to help them, they're usually hormonally out of whack like in a big way, a lot of women too have a chronic history of low calorie dieting and their metabolic rates are are just really terrible. And keto alone is just not doing it. So well, you definitely need to be mindful of what you eat when you eat really matters too. So uh, it doesn't matter if a patient comes into me and doesn't eat a lot of candy or chocolate bars, that, um, or, you know, carb carby foods and has a, has a low insulin bearing diet. So like keto or low carb they, they need to really work on when they eat. So we put them on the exact same fasting regimen.
1: Okay. Okay. And then what, what, um, what constitutes eating? Maybe it's a weird question, but if you have like, I don't know, again, what can you have while you're fasting that'll keep you in the fast? And what can you have that takes you out of it that you may not think would take you out of it?
2: So, you know, a true fast is is water. Um, Black tea and black coffee don't interfere too much. A little bit of bone broth doesn't interfere, but a lot of bone broth would interfere. And that would depend, the amount of bone broth would depend on the duration of your fast. If you're going several days of fasting um, back to back, then one cup a day is really not going to interfere too much. With the benefits, But if you're just doing a short fast, like a 24-hour fast, a full cup of bone broth, you know, is, is going to limit some of the benefits you might experience. Uh, definitely adding cream or milk to your tea or coffee, that will definitely affect the fast as well. So it's, it's really just trying to stick to water, tea, and coffee as much as you can. Keep the tea and coffee black without sweetener in them and using bone broth just as the start. But once, you, once you're you feeling comfortable with the fasting, really trying to give up the bone broth so you get the most benefits from doing all of that fasting.
1: And you, you recommend it, you know, again, several times a week, but do you recommend um, people do it consecutively for, you know, three days or you know, intermittently, again, uh, two or three times a week is fine.
2: It depends on the individual. You know, we're all so different. And it's what the, you know, the best answer is what's going to work best for you. You know, I'll, I'll use me for an example. When I first started fasting, like on a Monday to get through that fast, I needed to know that I was going to eat the next day, like absolutely, mm-hmm. or even later that day. You know, it was a real, it, you know, it made me avoid the cookies, it made me avoid the pretzels, it made me avoid the avocados even, like the healthy stuff. Just get through that fast because I'm going to eat soon. But then it gets to a like point for some individuals that they find that, you know, it's just a mental hurdle getting into the fast. So when once they get in, they would rather just stay there. And that became the issue for me, you know, it was a little bit overwhelming mentally getting into the fast. So once I got there, I just wanted to stay there. So I chose to do all three of my days back to back. So I would do a 72 hour fast. And so I with the patients, we really get encourage them to experiment with both. And we talk about how they feel and then decide what's the what's the right regimen for them.
1: Well, very good. So what's the best way for people to uh, get in contact with IDM and to learn more and to maybe try out the, you know, one of the programs, find out what it's about?
2: Absolutely. We offer two programs. One of them is a self-guided journey and one of them you can uh, meet up with one of our coaches and have some real customized uh, and individualized support. Uh, you can learn all about both of our programs and our books and podcasts and everything else at uh, www.idmprogram.com.
1: Well, very good. Um, thank you for thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, Again, the subject seems, at first, when you consider it, maybe crazy. But um, like you said, patients are experiencing amazing results. So uh, it's working. So I appreciate it's it.
2: It's working, yeah. No problem. Thanks yeah. for having me on today, Richard.
1: You have been listening to Almost Here